Welcome to the Arts Hubbub, a monthly look inside Australian arts and artists. I'm your host, George Dunford. Well, this time, we're looking at the urgent need for art that inspires political action. As we record this episode, parts of Australia remain besieged by bushfires, political protests continue in Hong Kong, and artists and others are taking to the street for action on the climate emergency. We caught up with some of them at the Climate Action Rally for our segment The Nudge, which explores how artists, both individually and collectively, can make change. We also spoke with Bai Dai Chao, a Chinese-Australian artist who was pressured to cancel his exhibition due to government repression of free speech, and how he continues to make art that challenges authority. And finally, we'll be letting you know what's ahead in arts events for the next month. For many arts practitioners, being challenged about your work is common, but few are forced to think about their personal safety as a consequence of their work. In 2018, street artist and political cartoonist Bai Dai Chao was faced with an impossible choice. He could either cancel his planned Hong Kong exhibition or put his family at risk. Tragically, three days before the show opening, my family in China got threatened by the Shanghai police, probably would be the National Security Police, My relatives got forced into the police station and interrogated for hours. That's Bai Dai Chao. He creates paste-ups and cartoons that mock China's ruling party that he puts out onto the streets and onto the web. Well, the police said, if I don't cancel it, then there'll be no mercy to me or to my family, which leading to the the, the hard decision that the show was cancelled eventually. It's the kind of pressure that many artists would find too much. But Bai Dai Chao continues to make art that he sends out through Twitter and Instagram. He's critical of China's control over the world. One of his images shows Australian koalas being repainted as pandas, representing his first-hand experience of China's intervention in Australia. Arts Hub's Jinghua Qian interviewed him at the State Library of Victoria recently about his art and activism. I was really struck, actually, when reading about your life at the parallels, because you were born in 1986 in Shanghai. I was born in 1987 in Shanghai. (laughs) And um, I think both of us came through being that generation born just before the Tiananmen massacre in June 1989, as well as obviously the points of divergence, uh, because I grew up here and you moved here as an adult, but I think we can maybe start at the beginning. How did you get the name Badil Tao? Well, actually, Badil Tao is a random picking sound. Uh, the reason why it is this kind of Dadaism style of name is when I started my art career, I've already focusing on issues of human rights in China, and I know by choosing subjects like that will bring me certain danger. That is why I choose to use a, you know, a random picking sound as my name so that I can avoid any possibility that the Chinese authority tracking down my identity. But also, I guess, the meaning of it could be, you know, I'm just an ordinary guy who's on Twitter or internet and trying to use my talents, which is art, to, you know, express issues of the Chinese government. And if I'm just one of the random guy, I hope more people can, you know, step up and 
do not look down on yourself, even as nobody, you know, we can have a voice and we can make a change. What's your your safety situation now and what's your everyday routine as an artist? Um, it, my safety is pretty much a uh, in a limbo, I would say, because now the Chinese government has learned who I am and also find out my family member in China. So there's no way for me to hide anymore. Um, and now the only way that I can, you know, keep my safety is actually doing more with my art and doing more publicity so that uh, I'm known by the public and I can receive more support. I've experienced incident of being followed by suspicious people and strange cars parking outside of residence and even the possible home invasion already, which I report to the police, of course. But the thing is that I think a lot of time the Chinese government wants sending a message to say, you know, we're watching you and we know what you're doing. But here is the thing. If I stop saying with my art, then... I don't think I can be me anymore. And also, we we need more people standing out to be like me, to using art or using other language or using other talents to, to fighting uh, for the freedom and democracy. And only for that case, only more people are doing this as me, then I will be safer. And that's the only way. I guess for me, I don't really uh, see the line between, you know, work and life. For me, this is my passion, this is my life, and this is also my work. And and because of time difference between Australia and China, it's three hours difference. So sometimes it does disturb my sleeping habit as well. I have to stay late in the middle of the night just in order to see what is going on. Because usually bad things happen at night time, unfortunately. And also I would try to crack a cartoon or a online illustration probably in the morning time, so it has a full day to circulate online. Um, because really, it's not just about creative work, it's also about how do you throw in a work on the internet so it has the maximum impact, so it has the potential to break through into the censorship system in China, which they call the Great Firewall. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things to considering, and timing is definitely something very crucial. I think in in art and in politics and history, we often we look for you know heroes and and idols and geniuses. But as an activist, um, often it's more about the movement uh, than the individual. What is the movement that you see yourself being part of? I think what happened to Hong Kong is actually quite personal to me. I mean, we were born in the same time in Shanghai. I don't know if you experienced the same thing, but for me. Initially, the movie industry and entertaining industry from Hong Kong is the first thing that go to China when it finally decided to open its society. So it plays a significant role on shifting people's idea of what kind of life of a liberated uh, area could be. So Hong Kong actually means much more than just a rich city for Chinese. It also like a lighthouse of good life uh, for a very long period of time. 
And then when I grow up, after I come to Australia and learning more than just the economic, you know, beauty of Hong Kong, then I realize it is also a city rooted for protest. It has a very rich history of social movement. Although my opportunity of showing the artwork has been stripped away from the Chinese government in Hong Kong, but when people are holding my art on the street in Hong Kong, when people are paced up my art, as street art in Hong Kong. It feels like I get my gallery back. It feels like the whole city turned into a huge showcase. I don't think more honor can be earned in this world as an artist than that. This is just extraordinary uh, experience. A lot of people are challenging, saying the Hong Kong protest is turning to violent, it's chaotic, there are nothing but riots. However, I, I would say this is completely untrue because from my understanding, there are so many people trying to do it in a peaceful way. There are so many people trying to do it in an artistic and creative way, not just visual art that you can see online for all the protest art, but also music, the new Hong Kong anthem, performance art like Hong Kong Way when people making human chain around the cities. So you work in uh, quite a few different mediums, from political cartoons to street art, memes and performance. But in another sense, these are all kind of traditional tools of protest as well. How has your style developed, especially as you've played with these different types of medium? Well, it's interesting. Sometimes you choose media by yourself. Sometimes you choose because the limitation of reality. So for me, for most of the time, trying to... Because I guess the world know me as a political cartoonist and the world know me from my post of blue cartoon on my social media like Instagram and Twitter. That is not because that's my favorite uh, form, but that is because that probably is the easiest way to express yourself, probably is the uh, most economically friendly way to do it, but also help you to reach the most audience if you want to discuss politics in your art. But also, I mean, like I said, I, I would like to see more ordinary people get involved into online activism or create art to criticize the power. So when I am doing public art like street art or art performance, I always make it accessible to other people joining as well. For example, a lot of my street art is all paced up. Uh, the reason for that is firstly, it helped me to seal my identity better because pace up is much faster, that I don't need to risk myself in the public space for longer. But the other reason is every time I would upload my material online and I would just not do it by myself, I would also call anyone around the world who's interested in this subject to join in and doing the same work in their own city. For me, thinking about 20th century China uh, and all of the the dreams and, and crushed hopes, it's very easy to be quite despondent. So how do you maintain optimism, especially I think like your characteristic faith in, in the power of resistance in the face of everything that you've witnessed? Mm. My personal hero is Sisyphus, uh, you know, <laughs> who is doomed 
to to be punished to to push a rock to to the mountain which which will be falling down uh, inevitably but the meaning of fighting it's it's not because you know you have this projection or expectation that you will win but the very gesture of pushing the rock itself is beautiful and strong and reflecting the, the beauty of a human being. So I guess my optimism is coming from gesture like that, by just pushing the bloody rock, even though it will fall again and again. Friday Chow's cancelled show will make an appearance in Australia at the Cantu Tomorrow Street Art Festival in Melbourne in February. The exhibition was previously called Gongle, a play on the word Google, but now Baidai Chow has renamed it Made in Hong Kong, Banned in China. to create your own podcast, film or TV show, then you should start with the Australian Film, Television and Radio School. Plugged into the sector and offering real experience, Afters offers a range of industry certificates taught by screen and broadcast experts with their fingers on the pulse of the industry. And because the courses are so hands-on and practical, you can apply what you learn straight away and use your industry certificate to get your next job. Find the perfect Afters course for you at afters.edu.au. Next up, The Nudge. If you've been looking at your arts practice and wanting to change it up, then The Nudge is your loving shove towards doing things differently. We could all use a little help to make better use of our time or make ourselves more resilient to criticism, and that's what The Nudge aims to do. This month, we're looking at art that protests and artists becoming more politically active, not just for change, but for a sense of community and a sense we can act. Producer Sabine Bricks went out and spoke with artists at the January 10th climate change rally. Even though it was pouring rain, many people showed up to protest, and not necessarily just with the idea that they'd change the world. The way I currently feel about my ability to influence change as an artist is conflicted. I don't necessarily feel like I alone have much influence. That's artist Jessie Nail, who is dressed in a bright pink outfit, complete with candy-coloured gas mask and a sign that says, Hey kids, you're doomed. Sorry. Later, Jesse will appear on the front page of the newspaper, an image that brings together innocence, climate emergency and cosplay. I'm at the climate rally today because I am really scared right now. I think a lot of us are. So my personal goal is to just feed on the energy of hope and directed anger that might create some sort of change. I think, I don't believe rallies alone necessarily make a huge difference. 
As an individual artist here, Jessie is highly visible. It might be the bright pink outfit, but she's found a way to build awareness. Recently, she's joined Extinction Rebellion and has participated in a couple of their actions. But she's realistic about the limited impact that artwork alone can have. We create conversations with each other, which creates a bigger conversation. So I don't have any real delusions that I'm going to change the world with art alone. But I think this is, art is the thing I know and this is my way of adding to the conversation and sort of influencing my little sphere. Also at the rally is Lyndall Jones, an artist behind the Evoca project, an artwork centred around a house in regional Victoria that tackles the questions of climate change. She's at the rally seeking that sense of community. We actually need to support each other in every way we can and I think um, sometimes these kinds of rallies are as important for the people around us and ourselves as it is for anyone else watching. Like Jessie, Lyndall looks beyond her art practice for change, but not without a little frustration. Well, maybe it's not through art, actually, but certainly in our lives we have to. I, I, I think we just... Um, we're, we're, reaching the, we're reaching the end of the possibilities and, uh, um, and so we have to do absolutely everything we can to either remove the government or in fact ignore them completely. There's all sorts of things that are can do, but it's very rare for art to affect social change in and of itself. And the times when artists have been able to participate in changing the world have largely been times in which they have connected themselves to various kinds of um, organisations. Wanting more background, we spoke to writer Jeff Sparrow about the role of artists in political change. You know, that they have rediscovered the importance of collectivity, and solidarity and participating in movements of ordinary people rather than having a perspective that we as artists will somehow lead the way, you know? I mean, I think it's, to be honest, I think it's more likely that the artists will follow them, the artists will lead. Jeff has written extensively about political change, whether looking at the buried radical history of our cities or his recent book, Fascists Among Us, which examines the role of the extreme right in 2019's Christchurch massacre. Real politics and real social change depends on, you know, a strategy for power. So if we don't, you know, accept this particular war, or we don't agree with, you know, the politics of um, the government on climate change, how are we going to change it? What are we going to do? What What is the process by which we get from where we are now to where we need to be? And so I think, you know, there's a difference between a stunt or a gesture and, you know, enlisting people in something like an ongoing campaign that has a series of strategies to to achieve a desired end. And I think that that's much more what we need. And in fact, I think that the, the right in Australia is much more conscious of, of the way that power works. So it was something I was thinking about the other day when I was at one of the climate rallies and I was struck by how witty the um, placards that people were holding 
were and thinking, gosh, these kids today like a, you know, much funnier and wittier than I was when I was young. And I thought about it a little bit more and I realised that actually overwhelmingly the placards and the signs weren't um, signalling an association with any particular organisation in the way that they once might have been. And if you look at the footage of the Vietnam Moratorium, it's much more, you know, this is the Monash Labor Club, this is the branch of the ALP, this is, you hold up a sign to say who you represent. Uh, And nor were they particularly putting forward um, strategies. They weren't saying, you know, we need a general strike or we need to do this. In fact, what they were doing is they were essentially mimicking the uh, format of social media. You know, so what these um, placards were is that they were essentially, you know, real-world versions of status updates or, um, or tweets. And that's the problem most of us have. We're drowning in information and facts, and we don't know what to actually do with that information, other than retweeting or sharing. If, as Jesse and Lyndall say, rallies are about that real-world community... What's the next step that this community can take? Neil Farrow comes at the problem of political change differently. Neil is a marketing and communications consultant working across the not-for-profit, private and government sectors. Having twice run for parliament himself, he believes that the arts sector needs to significantly improve the way it tells its own stories. It's too easy to find budget cuts to prop up a surplus if you've got an area where people don't engage politically and don't um, mobilise politically. While many in the arts are feeling like they matter less, Neil believes this is a time when we should be more creative about how we get politicians involved and engaged. The number of times I've heard organisations go, well, you know, this minister is the most important thing and we only want to talk to him or her. It's like, well, actually, that minister was previously a backbencher. That minister was previously a candidate. Before that, they may have been a staffer or an advisor. And, and you know, friendships and, and relationships held over a longer period of time are much more sustainable than just transacting because you want something now. For an arts organisation, there might be lots of ways to talk to government, including shifting how you argue for change depending on those individuals. Talk to the person, not the suit. The good organisations realise that some people respond to economics, others respond to stories, and, and you know, in a, in a conservative federal era, I think there's a huge opportunity to build more of a narrative that arts contributes to our... Um, and I, I hate the word, so, like, it's, it's not my personal reflection, but, you know, it's part of our patriotism or our nationalism and, you know, it's part of our national identity. Jeff, on the other hand, is sceptical of most of the existing structure's ability to change even though he does see the rate of change as positive. The climate strikes, these things come up tremendously quickly and develop a kind of momentum all over the world in a speed that just wouldn't have been, you know, uh, viable a, a generation or so. And, and so people who previously we'd never heard of can suddenly have, you know, the, the Greta Thunbergs of the world can suddenly have this sort of outside influence. I think you'd be a very brave person to predict the kinds of social movements that will be around in a year's time, two years' time, five years' time, because uh, in some respects those things are moving so quickly at the moment in a way that they never used to do. So what's your next step? Is it to double down on lobbying politicians, as Neil suggests, or is it looking for new structures that can help change? You've probably taken a few micro-actions, signed a petition or attended a rally, and they're really useful. But those are just part of a bigger shift that needs to happen. 
Wherever we go next, we're going to need artists to be politically engaged, though maybe not in the usual ways. So don't be isolated in fear and feeling powerless. Instead, find your community. Keep protesting however you can. Use a platform when you have one and stay engaged. If you're interested in film, TV, games or screen culture, you might like to check out our sister publication, Screen Hub. It's Australia's dedicated news and jobs website for the screen industry. Members receive industry benefits and total access to the site. Join today at screenhub.com.au. Here's what's coming up in the arts across Australia. Perth Festival is currently in full swing, running until March 1st, while in Adelaide, Mad March is about to get underway. Adelaide Fringe runs mid-February to mid-March, with Adelaide Festival running from February 28th. And don't forget the 2020 Adelaide Biennale of Australian Art, Monster Theatres, opening February 29th at the Art Gallery of South Australia. Plus, the Adelaide Writers' Week starts on February 29th with authors from around the globe. Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras Festival runs until March 1st, with highlights including a performance program at the Seymour Centre. In Canberra, catch the exhibition The Body Electric at the National Gallery of Australia from March 28th, featuring the work of women identifying artists on the subjects of sex, pleasure and desire. In Brisbane, the Australian ballet's The Happy Prince, a colourful new ballet choreographed by Graham Murphy, premieres at QPAC from February 25th. There's also the Contemporary Dance Festival Supercell at various locations across Brisbane from February 24th. In Melbourne, the second Asia-Pacific Triennial of Performing Arts, Asia Topa, is well underway and running until March at various venues across the city. Thanks for letting us into your ears for this episode of The Arts Hubbub, and we'll be back next month with what's happening in the arts. If you like what you've heard, give us a rating or a review in iTunes so we can keep making this podcast. If you don't like it, then perhaps you should be one of the quiet Australians. Thanks to our guests, Baidai Chow, Jeff Sparrow, Neil Farrow, Lyndall Jones and Jesse Nail. The Arts Hubbub is produced by Michelle Macklem, Richard Watts, Sabine Bricks, Jinghua Qian and me, George Dunford. Our theme music is Chasing Waterfalls by Tim Scheel. And for all the latest in jobs and news in the arts, visit us online at artshub.com.au. This podcast was produced on the lands of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to Kulin elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty has never been ceded.